Welcome to Parkview. We're doing a cannonball around here, as in jumping in and making waves. Um, and it must be catching on because Culver's has even been stealing our idea. Um, isn't that amazing? You can do a cannonball at Culver's with your root beer. It's awesome. We uh, started our, our whole cannonball thing last weekend, as Debbie said, with 237 baptisms, and that was amazing. That's, that was... Uh, that was more people than were in this church totally when I got here in 1990. We did that in one weekend. It was really, really awesome. A couple of pictures. One of my favorite baptisms, the triplets, Mark, Luke, and John, that we did at the same time. I had already done Matthew, their older brother. I'm not kidding. I did the whole thing, man. Um, it was awesome. Some other people getting baptized in the low tub. It was really, really awesome. That means that we have done... Uh, 2,300 baptisms since the last time we did a generosity initiative. 2,300 baptisms in the last three and a half years. And, uh, and, and, and what we're doing now is trying to figure out how to do it again. How to do another Cannonball. Cannonball is our two-year generosity initiative. It's a, it's a way to raise funds so that we can accelerate the mission at a very critical point in, in our church's life because we need to be able to reach more people. And I know that talking about giving up money is kind of like, uh, it's a difficult thing, you know? I mean, we're all, we all want to hang on to our money. The, the truth of the matter is, uh, Jesus talked about money more than anything else because he knows that where our treasure is, our heart is. Um, he talked about five, there were 500 verses in the New Testament on faith, 500 on prayer, 2,000 on our possessions and our money. I believe that if Jesus came and preached at any church in the 21st century, the sermon that he would pick would be something about not trusting in your own self and in your own money, but trusting in God, because that was what he was always about. And if he was about that 2,000 years ago, I think he was definitely be about that now. Uh, I don't think that God is interested in your money. I've said this over and over again. We're not interested in your money. We're interested in your heart and where your heart is. And it'll be great if we reach our goals. It'll be great if we can add a campus and do more mission and add some space to this building and blah, blah, blah. But what's really cool <coughs> excuse me, is what's going on inside of your hearts. What's really cool is what I'm seeing happening. You know, 237 people last weekend saying, you know what, we're going to do this. We're jumping in. My heart's in. That's, that's what's cool. I was reminiscing about it this week. Um, we've been kind of using this cannonball, you know, it's just something you just jump in and you make waves. You know, you make a big splash. And I've been using this metaphor to uh, kind of illustrate the, the, the times. This is the fourth time since I've been a pastor here since 1990 that we've uh, that we've stood on a diving board and said, hey, you guys, we need to we need to increase our giving and, and our generosity so that we can make waves. This is the fourth time. And uh, the first time we did it was in 1997 when, when I. Uh, and was thinking about it, 1997, we were trying to buy land and relocate, okay? We were on, uh, pay attention to these facts. Two acres, uh, 10,000 square foot building, we were running 300 people a weekend. And about half of them had just voted against the idea, okay? Another story. But when I say that this is the highest diving board we've ever been on before, um, that is true, but it's definitely not the scariest. I believe that my Norman Rockwell picture would probably more likely illustrate 1997, when there were so few of us and, and we were trying to put this together because we knew that if we didn't buy land and relocate, there was no way that we were going to be able to reach people. And again, we, we were barely more than the amount we baptized last weekend. And I did the math this weekend. We basically, if you figure the one fun thing out together, we basically were asking people to raise about a million and a half dollars over a three year period. There were 300 people. If you're not good at math, 300 into 1.5 million is the same as 6,000 into 30 million. It's the same. 
And I know the economy's bad, but you know what? I think most people, most of us would say I'm, I'm better off financially than I was in 1997. That was encouraging to me. But, but the truth of the matter is, I, I, the result of what happened the first time that we dived, that we jumped in off the board is this. Okay, here's our growth chart. Uh, that starts in 1989, so if you go over, I mean, I know you can't necessarily read this, but 1997 is when we did the first cannonball, and we decided that we were going to do, do something different, and we were going to relocate, and we were going to, you know, an act of God, and you can see the chart from there on. Um, as a matter of fact, if you, we, we now have, uh, we're one of the fastest growing churches in the country, we're on 29 acres with 125,000 square feet and 6,000 people. Or, again, for those of you who want to do the math, we have 10 times more uh, facility on 10 times more acreage with 20 times the amount of people since the first time we jumped off that board. And that just makes me want to do it again. We're on two campuses, and, and, and so we're going to do it again. And, 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 and basically the reason is uh, this. It's hard for people to keep the good news to themselves. A friend of mine at work, he, uh, he recommended Parkview. I went by myself the first time. Didn't know what to expect. And as soon as I got there, you know, I heard the music, and it was, it was different. And right away I was, I was hooked. You know, the message I was listening to, and, and I actually understood what he was talking about. And I walked out of there just with a whole di- different feeling of, wow, I mean, this is something I've been missing you know, all my childhood growing up, and this is something I need to tell my son about, my family about. After a few times of coming to Parkview by myself, I brought my son along, and um, you know, he tried it, and I saw the same thing with him. We, we talked about it in the car on the way home, and he liked it, so um, he got excited about it. So we started talking about it at home, and uh, we asked my wife if, if she would like to go with my daughter, and, and she's been going ever since. So, you know, what started out as one has become Ryan and I, which is two, and then my daughter and my wife, which became four. Ryan and I went to the Christmas service, and uh, we really enjoyed it, so it was time to tell everybody else about it. So I told my parents about it, and I wanted them to come along to Parkview. So they decided to join us, and they came over here, and they, they really enjoyed it as well. So I, I, you know, it started growing again, one to two to, to four. Now we have my parents going, and you know, they haven't gone to any services in a long time, so they, they joined us, and now we became six. After six of us started coming, um, my sisters, who have not gone to a church in a long time, uh, decided to come along as well because my parents started telling them about it. So um, my sister Connie, she came, and uh, which made it seven. And then after a couple of more weeks, we told my sister Cindy, and my sister Cindy, who hasn't been to church in a long time, she decided to join us, which made it eight, and she brought her daughter along, which made it nine. So you know, again, we're becoming bigger, you know, filling up a whole row, pretty much a park view. Um, and the coolest thing is my, my sister brought her daughter along with her two kids. So now we have four generations going at one point where we had 11 people filling up a row of Parkview. I would love to see my brother-in-laws come and my nephews come and, you know, to come to Christmas dinner at our house. We're going to make it a prerequisite for them to show up at, our, at, at, uh, at the service. So uh, maybe we can make it 15 or who knows how, how big it can be. Maybe that's my, my purpose when I started out as one and has spread to all these people. This could be my, my chance. And I think it's, it's started. I think the ripple effect is, is just like you would throw a stone in the water, you know, you get the one drop and all of a sudden it becomes larger and larger and larger, just like when one person can spread the word to two and two to four and four to eight and then just keep growing from there. So um, it's definitely something that's very, very powerful because it can reach a lot of different people. So you can blame Ron for Cannonball, basically, because if he would just shut up, we wouldn't have to do this. 
And if Richie and Debbie would quit talking to their, uh, you know, people that serve them at the restaurant, and you know, it is the ripple effect. That's really what it is. Uh, Cannonball is different than anything we've done before. We're trying to do this as a one fund campaign because, you know, the truth of the matter is about half of $29.6 million is what we normally would have had coming in over a couple of years. It's what we would have normally needed for our general budget, for our children's ministry and our students' ministry and our small groups and discipleship because we're not just about baptizing 237 people and then saying, hey, have a nice life. Jesus said we're supposed to follow him. We're supposed to baptize and make disciples. And so that goes together. We reach, we raise, and then we release. We just prayed last night for a a dozen people that are headed to Africa in a couple of weeks to go do ministry at at our place in Africa. That's what we want. We want to be able to release people into ministry. So we need to keep the general things going on. And and that's what is a part of the all in. That's the all in part of the cannonball. But in addition to that, we want to make some waves. The rest of that budget is going to be for adding a service at Lockport and some tech and some staff. We're going to add a campus somewhere. We don't know where exactly. We're going to do more mission work. We're going to start more churches. We're going to be working with a gang ministry in Englewood. We're going to be adding a bunch of new things that we can do with our mission. We're going to add land and parking over here because we're always needing it. We're going to do a tech upgrade in here. We're going to add a foyer over on this side. We're doing these things in order. We're going to add a foyer over here because we need more room to circulate. And on top of that, on the second floor will be our chapel um, that will be able to uh, do weddings and funerals and have more space to to have meetings and things that are going to go on. And then the last order of priority will be to knock this wall down and add up to 40 percent more seating in here. Uh, That's that's the eventual goal of the twenty nine point six million dollars. And we're going to do it in order of priority. It will go just like that. Some have asked, how come we didn't get the chapel last time? It's because we didn't get the money last time. And the chapel was the last thing on the, on the order of priority for us. So now we're getting it over here and, and it will go in priority again. I've got these brochures for you on the way out. I'd love for you to get one if you haven't got it. It explains all of this stuff and, uh, and the things that we're doing. They're in buckets on the way out. We'd love for you to get a hold of one and, and know what's going on. Because we believe that God has called us to make a bigger splash and a ripple effect. The thing about a cannonball is... If you don't understand this, you don't have to be a diver. You don't have to be a, you don't have to go to, you know, take lessons. You just jump in. So what that means is we're hoping that everybody jumps in. If you're a regular giver, we hope that you're going to jump in even deeper, that you're going to figure out how to do more over the next couple of years than you would have done. You're going to add to that and make some waves. And if you've not been a part of uh, giving to Parkview, that you will jump in with us, that this will be a time maybe for you to be tithing, which you've never maybe done before. This will be a time for you to jump in. Some of you, uh, you know, you could do a large gift and, and maybe you've never done that to a church before, but this would be a place where you can jump in. I'm telling you, I think God is calling us to do this radical sacrifice thing all over again. Commitment weekend is next weekend. All right. Don't skip it because you don't think you want to do anything. It's okay. I would love for you to be here. I would love for you to be a part of this because I think God is going to be moving next weekend like he was last weekend with the baptisms. I think that God's spirit is going to be upon this place and we want to pack the place out. If you've got dog tags... Bring them back next weekend. Okay, make sure you're wearing them next weekend. If you don't have dog tags, get them on your way out. I want you to bring them because we're gonna you're gonna leave one of them and, and take one of them with you. So make sure you remember that. My two deeply held convictions. Um, number one, we can't outgive God. Uh, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. And you will listen. This is not a, a TV preacher. This is God. You will be made rich in every way. So that you can be generous on every occasion. 
I've said it before, i say it again, I live this all the time, and you know you are too. TV preachers will tell you it's about money, you're going to get money back. Who needs money, man? I want love, I want joy, I want peace, I want to sit around the table at Thanksgiving with my family, don't you? That's what I'm, that, that, those are the things that are important to me. I, I, I really believe that. You can't put a price tag on that. My second theological conviction is that we're supposed to bring heaven to earth and earth to heaven. We're supposed to help bring God's things to the people of earth that need it. And we're supposed to bring earth's people to God who loves them when they die. Okay, that's what our calling is as, as a church. So in the last two weekends, we've given 320 gifts to single parents. Because in the middle of trying to raise funds, we gave away a bunch of money to people who we believe needed it. Because that's the way that it ought to be. That's what religion is, James said. It's taking care of those who can't take care of themselves, who have nobody else that's there with them. And they need our support, so we did that. And I went to Bolivia this week. (laughs) I left the 11 o'clock service last week in a cop car so I could get to O'Hare really fast. And um, wow, I'll never take a taxi ever again. And I got to, I, I, I left at two o'clock on, and on a flight to Miami. I took three airplanes. I flew overnight to Cochabamba, Bolivia, got there Monday morning um, so that I could be with my daughter, Lauren, who has been there since June 15th, working at a safe house. Like we want to build here as a part of Cannonball. She's working at one in Cochabamba, Bolivia. It's uh, 14 to 16-year-old girls that they've rescued off the street, out of the sex slave trade, off the street, prostitution, whatever. Some of them have been abused. Well, they've all been abused. They've been molested. They've been raped. They've been sold. Uh, Several of them have babies of their own. I mean, these 15-year-old girls with babies of their own. And and that's where she's been. That's what she's working. So we went down there because we wanted to be a part of her life. We wanted to see what she's been doing and because we missed her. Uh, the, my picture that probably illustrated best for me what God did to me while I was there was these Barbies on one of the girls' beds. I'm like, Lauren, what Barbies? You know, these girls are 15. She said, well, it's not like they really play with the Barbies. It's that somebody donated them to the house and they've never had a doll before. And so they're proud to put their little Barbie doll out on their bed because it's beautiful and it's special to them. They've never had anything like that before. We took... uh, God just wrecked me. We took clothes to these girls. We took jewelry. People, several of my wife's friends brought over things that we could, beads and things that they could make uh, necklaces and stuff with and sell them and, and ways to help them at the house. And for some reason, my wife decided it would be fun to cook Thanksgiving dinner for the girls of this house. I mean, I, part of it is because selfishly, Lauren won't be home for Thanksgiving. She won't be home until Christmas time. So uh, we thought we'd make Thanksgiving down there, which was quite, <laughs> quite an ordeal. I paid $50 for a turkey in Bolivia. You can buy things for pennies on the dollar there, but turkeys, a turkey was, we had to go to three stores to find a turkey in the first place. None of these people had ever had a turkey before in their life. And we made, you know, sweet potato souffle. My wife did the whole thing and we cooked for them. The turkey, I'm not making this up, had four legs. Not John Madden four legs. Like I pulled it off. It had four legs and two wings. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was raised somewhere near the cocaine fields out in Bolivia. 
which may be why they don't eat very much turkey, because it's hard to catch a four-legged turkey on cocaine, right? But he tasted awesome. And it was one of the best days of my life because we, uh, we, we sat around and, you know, Lauren said, okay, everybody's got to give thanks. You know, what are you thankful for? Like, you probably do at Thanksgiving like we do. Let's talk about what we're thankful for. And these girls, they're, they're only speaking Spanish. Lauren is amazing and bilingual and able to translate. So she helped us with all that. And, and they translated it. Every one of them said, I'm just thankful to be at this house. I'm thankful to be here. And you could only imagine what it would be like for them, how thankful they are to just be there, let alone to have, you know, this feast in front of them. Probably the best part of the day for me was the fact that just by the grace of God and, and utter irony, a new girl was brought in that day. It was Thursday. A new girl was brought in that day and, and, you know, she'd just been rescued from somewhere, some bad situation. And she was brought in and, and, and I watched her as she came in and she's disoriented and she's shy and she doesn't want to talk. And, you know, she's just, she's just a new girl. And, and she gave thanks for being in the place and she ate the meal. And by the time we were cleaning up, Probably the best thing for me was to see that by the time we were cleaning up, she was chatting with the other girls and, and she was having fun and she was being a kid again. And I could, I, it was like I watched one girl get rescued in front of my very eyes in one day. And I thought that is why I'm here. That is why we do this. And that's why we do this. This is my picture for why we do this. This is the picture of the kids behind the gate in uh, Nairobi, Africa, where our team is getting ready to go. These are the kids that can't get into the school because the school's not big enough. The school has grown from 200 kids to 6,000 kids since we've been a part of what's going on there, but there are so many more that need to be rescued. And so when I say Jesus taught us to pray, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, it wasn't just that we were supposed to pray it, it was supposed that, that we were supposed to help do it. Okay, and for some reason, here's the world population graph. For some reason, God put me born in that yellow time slot. I don't know why. I don't know why I wasn't born in the 700s or the 1200s or some other time slot. But for some reason, when I was born in 1961, there were just a little over 3 billion people on the planet. And now there are 7 billion people on the planet. The most population growth in the history of humanity. For some reason, God put me and you here in that moment. And I don't know why, but, but it gives me a great sense of responsibility to realize that all of these people need Jesus. And I'm here, and I'm the one that He chose to use. And so are you. Our theme story is the prodigal son. We use it a lot around here. We talk about how great Dad is that He would welcome the son home. And what I've said over and over again is what I can't handle is to think that one of the prodigals might try to come home and can't find a parking space. Can't find a seat, can't, can't, can't find a place that will love him and welcome him back to the Father. And there are four million people, listen to me, I'm not making this figure up, four million people within a 30-minute drive time of our two campuses. Now, hopefully God doesn't want them all to come here, but we've got work to do. And I understand... God as the Father, the gracious Father, because I am a Father. You, you're, you're probably thinking, you're, you're crazy. Why, why would you fly overnight, get there Monday, go to Bolivia, the poorest country in South America, uh, and, and, and go be there? And then I got on a plane on Friday night uh, at 9 o'clock, and I flew on three planes and ended up at O'Hare at 11 o'clock yesterday and, and came and, and preached the 4 o'clock service last night. 
and I'm tired. Why would I do that? Because I love my daughter. Because I would literally cross heaven and earth to go be with my daughter. I haven't seen her in five months. I love my daughter. I want to be around my daughter. I'm proud of my daughter. I want to see where she's at. I want to see where God has called her. And I will pay anything or do anything or go anywhere to make sure that my daughter knows that I love her. And as I think about that with the, with the gracious father and the prodigal son, I used to not ever be able to understand how a father could let his kid go away and waste all the money and then come back and welcome him home. That didn't make any sense to me until... May 15th, 1987. And then all of a sudden I became a dad and I, and I understand a father's love. A little bit of it. Just a little bit of it. Not, not nearly what the real father has. And I realized that my job on earth is to help connect the kids with the dad. So that's why we do this. Same reason you do what you do for your kids. We need to do for God's kids. You don't have to feel obligated to help me. I just want to tell you that I think it's our calling. When it comes to the gospel, it's a partnership Paul said, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how will they call on the one they haven't believed in? And how can they believe in one they haven't heard? And how can they hear unless we do something about it? So, that's what's happening. But listen to me. Don't, don't feel a lot of pressure. Because I'm not expecting a great church to do great things. What I'm expecting is for an almighty God to do great things through a great church. Can you not forget this? Are you ready for this? I'm looking for a cannonball of biblical proportions. I am looking for God to do the miraculous. I love the story of the, the kid who didn't know much about the Bible and hadn't been to church much, and he went with his friend uh, to church, and the preacher was preaching about the Israelites crossing the Red Sea. And he went home, and, he, and his dad said, well, what did the preacher talk about today? And he said, well, he talked about the Jews and how when they left Egypt, they, uh, they were being chased by the Egyptians, and they got up to the Red Sea, and um, they, they built a bridge over the Red Sea really fast. They built this bridge over the Red Sea, and then they crossed over the bridge and, and when they got to the other side the Egyptians were on the bridge chasing them and they blew up the bridge and all the Egyptians died and the dad was like is that really how the preacher told it the kid said no but if I told it the way he told it you'd never believe it <laughs> listen I'm not looking for the explainable. I'm looking for the unexplainable. I'm looking for a supernatural multiplication miracle. And, and, and there is one in the Bible I want to tell you about briefly just for a minute today. It's this miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. It's one of my favorite because it's the only miracle that's listed in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John for some reason. And you've got to remember, Jesus didn't do miracles to show off. There was always a lesson there. So, so you might not be from Parkview, you may be visiting today. Here's what I know. At some point in your life, you are going to want a miracle. You are going to be like, God, how can I get you to help me in my, I need a miracle in my marriage, in my, in my relationships, in my job, in my health. I need a, I need a miracle somewhere. How do I go about getting you involved in it? Okay. Here's your example from this story. All right. I'm, I'm going to read from different versions of it along the way, but the bottom line is there's this large crowd. They're hungry. There's no place to eat. Um, nothing, you know, no fast food. It's kind of funny The the fast food in Bolivia is a hamburger called a tranca pecho, which looks okay at first. It seems like pretty normal. It's a very thin uh, beef patty, a very, very thin beef patty, um, but it was uh, like about a tenth of a pound, I think. They call it the tithe pounder or something. I don't know. Very thin beef patty, lettuce, tomato, a bun, and then there is a fried egg and fried potatoes and rice. 
They put rice on their hamburger. I mean, so, you know, you're eating and there's rice falling out all over the place, okay? Everybody's got their thing. Well, I don't know what the fast food was of the day, but there wasn't any around. And the disciples come to Jesus and they go, hey, Jesus, we got a, we got a problem. Now, I want, to, I want to demonstrate for you three things that we usually do when we go to Jesus and we say, hey, we've got a problem, okay? The first one is we procrastinate. Look at this. By this time, it was late in the day, so the disciples came to him and said, hey, this is a remote place and it's already late. It was late in the day. Did anybody earlier in the day think, hey, there's 20,000 people here. Maybe they're going to get hungry. No. Why did that not happen? Because they procrastinated. And you know what? We could do the same thing if we wanted. Because we've grown 54% in the last three and a half years since the last time we did a, a generosity initiative. 54%. If we grow 54% in the next three and a half years, that means by 2014, there's going to be 3,000 more people, the friends of Ron, relatives of Ron, you know, people that waited on Richie and Debbie, your friends, your neighbors, 3,000 more people who are going to need a place to worship Jesus by 2014. And we could kick back and we could go, man, you know, world's going to end in 2012 anyway. What's the deal? It doesn't matter. Or we can do something about it now. They did nothing about it. They procrastinated. And then we passed the buck a lot. So they said, you know what? It's not my problem. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. I.e., it's not my problem. I've got a parking spot. I've got a seat. My campus has a building. There are other churches they can go to. If they're hungry, let them go somewhere else and find food. It's not my problem. The third thing they did was they, they were faithless. Jesus said, why don't you feed them? And they said, well, Jesus, that would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? I love that. Why is there always an accounting geek in every group? You know what I'm saying? I mean, what happened? Somebody just went, 15,000 people, that's 3,000 pieces, that's $30,000. Holy cow! And even if we could afford it, how are we going to transport it, keep it hot, clean it up? Do we have to get permits? I mean, what? You know, somebody started doing all the logistics on the thing. I love this, right? And, and you know what? People are doing this to me too, right? The accounting people are like, seriously, $29.6 million? We can't do that. To which I would have said... At some point in my life, you're absolutely right. Except I never in 29.6 million years would believe that we could baptize 237 people in one weekend. I never in a million years would have thought that we would have to have 10 Christmas Eve services starting three days before Christmas in order to get everybody in. I never in a million years would have guessed that we could give over a million dollars a year to world missions or that we could have gathered 13,000 pairs of shoes for people who needed them. I, I wouldn't have guessed any of those dynamics. The truth of the matter is, I now know the God of biblical proportions and I can't put anything past him. Here's the problem. The disciples are standing next to the man who turned water into wine. Why do we forget that? Jesus said, you give them something to eat. Because the first principle is always this. God always starts with what I have when he wants to work a miracle. You'll be like, oh, God, why don't you do something? And he will almost always come back to you and go, hey, okay, I will. But I need you to help me get it started. Maybe time, might be energy, might be talent, whatever it is. He says, I want you to do something with the little you've got. So the first thing that we ought to do is assess what we have to work with. What, am I, what have I got and how am I using it? Just those two questions. 
Or as Randy Alcorn said, maybe there's three. One day we must answer these three questions about our money. Where did it all go? What did I spend it on? And what has been accomplished for eternity through my use of this wealth? That's the question we've got to ask. So Jesus' response to the disciples was, go figure out what you've got. How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they came back and said, all we could find was five small loaves of bread and two fish. Why did Jesus do this? Why did Jesus start with their stuff? Why didn't Jesus just go, boom, fish and chips, here you go? Why didn't he do that? Because he could have done that, I believe. You know, I mean, he, he made manna come from heaven. Remember that story in the Old Testament? He could have just had fish and chips rain down from heaven. Why did he do this? Well, the, the, the gospel writer John tells us that Jesus only did this to test them. For he already had in mind what he was going to do. I love that. He was just testing them. Tell me what you got. Tell me what you got to get started. I know what I'm going to do. This is only a test. Can I tell you something? This is only a test of the emergency faith-casting system. (laughs) If this had been a real emergency, we wouldn't have consulted you, okay? This is only a test. That's what this is all about. Jesus, in the Old Testament, God said, test me in this. This is what this is, okay? So I assess what I have to work with, and I give God the little bit that I have. One little boy has five loaves and two fishes. Seriously, there's 20,000 people there, and nobody else brought their lunch My wife would have packed the lunch. Can I get a witness? You know what I'm saying? There's no way nobody else had a lunch. The reason the little boy is the hero of the story is not because he had the best lunch. It's because he was the only one who decided to share it. Would you? I mean, I don't know if I would have. I'd have had my McFish over behind a tree somewhere. Because I'm like, there's 20,000 people here. If we split this up 20,000 ways, I'm not getting very much. Right? In verse 41, it says, Jesus took the, here's where the miracle part happens. Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish, and he blessed it, and he broke the loaves, and he kept giving them to the disciples to set before the people. Somehow, it was a, it was a feeding of biblical proportions. And as he blessed it, and passed it, and blessed it, and passed it, it kept feeding, and feeding, and feeding. As a matter of fact, when we assess what we have, and we give to the God, what we have, He takes it and He multiplies it. That's what, that's what you're sitting in right now. That's a part of what you understand here. And it says in verse uh, 42 and 43, everyone ate and had enough and they had leftovers. They had 12 basketfuls of leftovers. That's amazing. Now here's the question. What do you think they did with the leftovers? It's not in any of the Gospels. I don't know. I'm speculating. But I think they gave it back to the kid. It was his lunch. Can you imagine this kid going home with 12 basketfuls of food? Hey, Johnny, where'd you get all the food? Well, I didn't finish my lunch. <laughs> really? I mean, seriously, if your kid comes home with 12 extra lunch boxes, you should have a conversation with him, right? What happened in this kid's life? I believe the first principle is I give God what little I've got. And he starts with that. And the second part of this is what I said earlier. Whenever I give, I always end up getting more back. I always do. This kid started out with five loaves and two fish. And I, I know he went home with more than that. That's amazing. Why? Because you can't outgive God. It's the principle of the tithe in the first place. In the Old Testament, the, proverb, the writer of Proverbs says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, the first fruits of your crops, and then your barns will be filled to overflowing. And your vats will brim over with new wine. 
Malachi said, bring the whole tithe, 10%, into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and test me in this, says the Lord, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. That's what he says. The only time he ever says to test me back. He says, try it. Can I talk about the storehouse for a second? He says, bring the tithe to the storehouse. This is the storehouse. Where you're being fed is the storehouse. I mean, people have come to me and they're like, you know what? I support this and I support that. And you know what? So do I. We have five kids, uh, World Vision, Compassion, a kid in Africa, a kid in Guatemala, and I don't even know where the other one is. All my, everybody in my family has a kid, okay? Mine's a high school boy in Africa. And everybody, Lauren got to see hers because her girl through World Vision happened to be in Bolivia. And she got to see her a couple of weeks ago. Actually, meet her sponsored child. It was really, really cool. We do that. And we have other missions that we support. And we have other things. But, but for 20, almost 20 two years, we've been bringing the tithe back to the storehouse because I don't see how any organization could be more effective at the use of funds than the storehouse where I'm being fed right now at Parkview Christian Church. When I started giving here, the church was 150 people and gave $20,000 a year to World Missions. Now this mutual fund has grown over the years and we've been able to add all of these people and add all of these things and add all the mission work that we've been able to do. And I believe that, it, that when we bring the tithe to the storehouse, he will do what he said. And you can say, well, that's Old Testament. Jesus said, don't, don't neglect the tithe. Jesus said, the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Jesus said, he who is faithful with worldly wealth will be given spiritual wealth. Jesus said, if somebody asks for your coat, give him your shirt. If somebody asks you to go a mile, go the second mile. What, what do you think Jesus thinks about our money? Does that sound like less than Old Testament or more? You know, I, I get this. I mean, you're the you know, cat cigarette thing. I understand this, okay? I understand why this is... It's the same thing for me. I, I like what I have. It's hard for me to give up. But can you just relax? Because Jesus is the guy who turned water into wine. Jesus is the guy who... Jesus is the guy who raised the dead. Jesus made money. Did you know this? Jesus... I, mean, I don't mean like he got a job. I mean, he manufactured money. In Matthew chapter 17, they're having a discussion about a tax... And Jesus said, hey, don't worry about it. Go out and catch this fish. Listen to this. But so that we may not offend them, go to the lake and throw out your line and take the first fish that you catch and open its mouth. And inside you will find money. I'm going to make money. Take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. Jesus can make money. Why are we worried about this? Can you please remember this? Jesus could walk on water. I love this cartoon. Although later disqualified, Jesus is spectacular in winning his first school swim race. This is the God of biblical proportions. I, I want you to really be able to remember that. It's really important. Take out your commitment card. We're not doing this today, so don't get nervous. Take out your commitment card. I want to explain it to you. This is next weekend. Um, and by the way, if you're, a part, if you're a volunteer or a part of our leadership at 4 o'clock this afternoon, while you're getting these out, I want to tell you, 4 o'clock this afternoon, we've got a special gathering from 4 to 5. We're going to do some worship. And our leaders, uh, our staff and elders have already done this. And our leaders and our, and our, our people that are, are, are the core workers in this congregation are going to start at 4 o'clock this evening. We're going to get together for an hour and we're going to turn these in. 
And we want to invite you, if you want to come and be a part of the advanced commitment, I want to invite you to come. It's only going to be an hour. You can TiVo the Bears. It's all going to work out. I want you to come at 4 o'clock. We're going to spend some time together. Let me explain the card, okay? There's just a lot of lines on there. Hopefully you can figure out your name and address and all that stuff on your own, okay? All in. What is all in about? All in is what I normally would have given over a two-year period, okay? All in is what I normally would have done. For me, that would have been my tithe because I believe in tithing and I would have tithed if we hadn't gotten on the, on the diving board at all. I would have still tithed. That would have been my all in. Now maybe for you, you've never even done anything. It's zero. That's okay. It doesn't matter. All in is that. What you normally would have done over two years, okay? The making waves part, the making waves part is what we're going to do to expand the ministry. So all in for me is, is my tithe. Making waves is what I'm going to add to that tithe to make waves, to, to plant churches, to add facilities, to add a campus, to do all those things. That's the making waves part. That's the over and above what I normally would have been doing. That is the radical lifestyle change. That is being dependent on God. That is making waves. And I want you to challenge you to that number. And remember, it's time two years, so you figure out the math there. But this is a two-year deal. So if you know things are going to change for you or whatever, remember that this is a two-year deal. Then the next line is over there to the right, accumulated resources. What do I mean? I mean, sell a kidney, man. There, you can get a lot of money for that. I don't know what it is. I, I don't know what you've got, but there may be something. Not everybody, but there may be something that you've got that you're like, you know what? I could do without this. I could sacrifice this. In, two, in 2008, I had a Harley Fat Boy, part of my midlife crisis, you know? I had a Harley Fat Boy. I gave that up for the campaign in 2008. You people are sitting on my Harley Fat Boy right now. I hope you appreciate it. I was able to sell that and give that up for the 2008 Great Investment Campaign. Maybe there's something like that that you can do, okay? And, and, and again, remember, you're two years, you add, do the math, and if all that is confusing, um, there are our calculators on the Internet, but if all that's confusing to you, all you really need to know is a bottom line. That's all you need. The bottom line is the only thing that's going to be recorded if you don't want to do all that other math and you say, you know what, I don't even know what you're talking about, but I believe that God can take my five loaves and two fish and do something incredible. I believe that I can do a radical lifestyle change, that I can sacrifice, that I can give up, that, that I can do the thing. I, I don't know how my five loaves and two fish is going to feed 5,000 men plus women and children. I don't know how my gift is going to get to $29.6 million, but I'm going to give and I'm going to sacrifice. And that might mean that I have to do without some things. It might mean that, that, that things are going to be different for me, but that's my bottom line number. It's not now. It's next week, Commitment Weekend, and I hope that you'll be here, and I really hope that you're all in. I mean, I hope that you're all in in some way. That's what I'm... That's what I'm that's what I'm really praying about, okay? Because here's the deal. What happens a lot of times is we pray for God. God, I need you to do a miracle for me. And God says, you know what? I want to do a miracle through you. That's the difference. Okay? Basically, what I'm saying is that God has set us, Parkview, in the middle of four million people and said, they're spiritually starving. What should we do? And we say, well, I don't know. What should we do? And Jesus says, I want you to feed them. And our reaction is, well, that's crazy. There's too many people. We don't have the money. We don't have the staff. We don't have the resources. The economy is bad, Jesus. There's no way we can do this. To which God says, I'll tell you what, you give me what you have and watch me work. 
as, as we leave, I want to encourage you to get one of these prayer cards. What I want you to do with these prayer cards, uh, the ripple effect, I want you to write the names of some people that you would love to see God get a hold of in the next 10 years at Parkview. Some people that you want to pray about. And what we're going to do is you write their name on there and you can stick them in these slots on your way out after the service in the front of the stage. That's what those are there for. They've been there since we built this auditorium in 2006. You can put them in there or there are baskets on the way out. Everybody doesn't have to come up here. Or you can put them in the offering basket if you want to. This is really this is really great. What's great about this is you don't know how many of you are a name that's on a card already because we've done this many times. Every time we do this, we start thinking about who we can reach with our with our ripple effect. And many of you, your name's on a card. As a matter of fact, I got a name that's been on a card for years. It's underneath this stage from the day we moved in in 2006. A neighbor friend of mine that we've been praying for, that we really wanted God to get a hold of, and she and God got a hold of her. And along the way, you know, she's really started following Christ. And last weekend, she got baptized. After all that time, that's what happens. I want you to do this. I want you to think about who those people can be. All right? And I'm going to, listen, I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm going to throw you a low blow right here as we end. I'm warning you, it's not because I'm trying to raise money. It's because this scene kept coming back to me in Bolivia this week over and over and over again. It's the, uh, it's the closing scene from Schindler's List where... Uh, all the Jews that Oscar Schindler has saved, if you didn't see the money, uh, it's the Holocaust time. And Arthur Schindler, or Oscar Schindler is a guy who gave up money so that he could save people from Poland and smuggle them out of Poland. And there are 1,100 people after the war is over. There are 1,100 people who come together to give Oscar Schindler thanks for saving their life. Except he's not really feeling all warm and fuzzy. When he starts to look around at all the people, all he can think is, I should have done more. I could have done more. I could have sold this car. I could have sold this pen. I could have got two more. I could have got one more. And that's the thought that kept coming back to me. I'm not, I'm not comparing Cannonball to the Holocaust, okay? Please don't send me emails. But I've seen hell this week. And I believe that what we're doing is saving people from eternal hell. I really do believe that. So that's the reason why I would get up on this board in the middle of a recession and tell you that we need to cannonball is because I can't sleep at night if I don't think that I have done everything I could possibly do to save some. I really don't know why God put us here. I don't know why He put me here. Um, I got nothing. But whatever it is, my five loaves, my two fish, I'm going to give it. And I'm asking you to join me because He called us for some reason to be His voice, His hands, and His feet. And as we take communion right now, I hope you'll remember that Jesus made the biggest cannonball of all time. He came all the way from heaven, Philippians 2 tells us. He came all the way from heaven, gave up the throne of heaven, and came down and hit the water as a baby on the planet earth. And He grew up and He died on the cross. It took away all of our sin. And then He came bursting back up out of the water, out of the cannonball, and said, okay, follow me. As we take communion right now, we, we are remembering 
the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, which was the biggest cannonball of all time. And what he's asking us to do is not just be saved by him, but follow him and do our own cannonballs. He went back up. He wants us now to be his feet and his hands. God so loved the world that he, what? Gave. I hope that you'll be encouraged as we share this meal together to realize that we should be doing the same thing. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for, uh, for the cannonball. We thank you for coming from heaven to earth, from the earth to the cross, my debt to pay. Thank you for doing that cannonball. And thank you for coming back up out of the water to show us that we can all do that also. If there are people in this room that don't have you, let them call on your name today. Say, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. Maybe some more need to be baptized. I'll jump in the water after this is over. Maybe we need some more to get baptized today, Lord. I don't know what you got going on with these people, but you're calling us to be your hands and your feet, and we're going to do it. Right now, as we remember what you did for us, we're going to contemplate what we need to do for others. We ask you to bless us as we do this in Jesus' name. Amen.